You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is in Psalms 120, and the scripture reads, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from the lying lips, from the deceitful tongue, which shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you. You deceitful tongue, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. For I am peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Now, there are different songs for different occasions. I think we all know this. If you're going to start working out, you need good workout music. You need something with like at least 110 to 120 beats per minute, something upbeat to give you some rhythm to work out to. What I found is if you're trying to relax, or maybe in the backyard when it's not 108 million degrees out, you need some classic jazz like Stockton's own Dave Brubeck just to relax. Uh, There are certain Marvin Gaye songs for, you know, other occasions. I won't get into that. And then most important, most important. Okay, sorry. Guys, I'm out of control when there are no people here. Um, Reel me back in. The most important, the most important is songs for the road. Songs for the road. I remember when I was 16 years old, the car and the open road was my place of freedom. And I remember having this little portable CD player sitting on the seat next to me and that was connected to a tape cassette converter. And I remember these moments, these very vivid memories as a teenager driving with the windows down and the music loud and, the, and just singing at the top of my lungs. And these moments, these songs really allowed me to transcend some extremely difficult, painful circumstances that I was facing. Songs... These songs of the road really were my companion for a confusing time. But this didn't occur to me until much later in life. I I couldn't articulate that. I couldn't put my finger on that at 16 years old. But I was able to articulate this later as I was meeting with a counselor, as I was dealing with some other painful, difficult moments. And what he kept saying to me was, you need to get back to music. You need to get back to music. Now, I remember at first, it really bothered me because I'm thinking, man, you're getting paid a lot of money to keep telling me the same thing I could do on my own. But there was truth in this. You need to get back to these songs. And believe it or not, God has created a playlist for you. Songs to be your companion for the difficult journey of the Christian life. And really, your companion in a really difficult season like the one that we're all in right now. Let's look at the Psalms like this. The Psalms are the playlist, or the, the songbook of the Bible, 150 songs for God's people. And there's a lot of diversity in those songs. There's songs of joy, there's songs of sorrow, there's songs of hope, there's songs of despair, there's songs for victory, there's songs for defeat. There's the early stuff, there's the sophomore releases, there's the more indie underground stuff, there's the more top 40 songs. And one particular playlist in the entire catalog is the Psalms of Ascent, which are 15 songs that many scholars believe 
were sung by God's people as they made the pilgrimage from wherever they were scattered about to Jerusalem as the 12 tribes of Israel would three times a year come together in Jerusalem to worship God during certain festivals. And these were the songs that would sustain them through difficult and sometimes dangerous journeys. These songs right here are the Pilgrim's Playlist. Now, Eugene Peterson, in his book on the Psalms of Ascent, titled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he said that there's essentially two words that help us to understand who we are and really who we are in relationship to the world around us. Two words to describe us. The New Testament word is disciple. Who is the child of God? Who are you? Well, the Bible says you're a disciple. But there's another term that we really see prominent throughout the scriptures, but particularly in the Old Testament. And that other term to describe who we are is pilgrim. Who are you? You're a disciple. And you're a pilgrim. And he goes on and says this, pilgrim tells us that we are people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God, and whose path for getting there is the way Jesus Christ. We realize that this world is not my home, and we set out for the Father's house. Pilgrim. Now, the beginning of this journey, Psalm 120, starts far, far from home. And as we look at this beginning song, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three themes. We're going to look at distress, displacement, and finally deliverance. Let's look first at distress. Now, this psalm may seem like a really strange place to begin a playlist, right? God provides this playlist for God's people as they set out on the journey, and it begins in a really weird place. Now, I remember from my very, very short-lived music days, that an intro track is very, very important. It, it's got to have like a hook. It's, it has to have some sort of element in that intro track that convinces the listener to keep listening to the rest of the content that you're providing. And if you ask me, this is a really strange way to start. But what we have to remember is that the Psalms are not being marketed to the masses. These are not songs that are being written to go multi-platinum. They're written to give honest lyrics to the man and woman that is journeying through the real world. People don't need clever. People need honesty. And that's what these songs provide. The psalm begins with distress. It ends with war. And all throughout... There's multiple mentions of deceit. Now, on the day that I was preparing for this message, I opened up the news, and I began to scroll and see some of the headlines thousands of years later after this psalm was written. And here's what I read. First, anxiety and depression symptoms spike under social distance. Next, foreign powers face off in Libyan civil war, risking wider conflict. Next, post-truth, lies, and disinformation. And then my favorite, woman punches McDonald's employee in the face for forgetting condiments. <laughs> True headline. This psalm is for the person that is ready to acknowledge that the world is not working the way that it should. 
and it's not going to get itself back on track. Brokenness continues to fill the headlines. And it's become abundantly clear that it's not going to be the next politician, and it's not going to be the next political movement that's going to fix this thing for us. And it's become abundantly clear that it's not going to be the next vaccine or the next medical breakthrough that is truly going to heal us. There has to be help that comes from outside of humanity, and it's clear that that help is not going to come from within, because here we are thousands of years later with the same headlines filling the news. History just keeps repeating itself. And so verse 1 begins where we too must begin today. In my distress, I called to the Lord Yahweh, and he answered me. Distress. This word distress means a narrow and confined place. The meaning, it's like feeling trapped by your circumstances, pressed in by the pressure and circumstances of life. Now, I remember a few years back, uh, we took a sabbatical, and we were up on the Oregon coast, and there were these different tide pools that you could go to, but one of the, one of the two tide pools was connected by this narrow, dark cave. And something that you probably should know about me is that I'm extremely claustrophobic. And I remember passing through this dark narrow cave. But now all the kids were like passing through and they're running through and they're having a fun time. So like, I can't bow out. I gotta, I gotta press on. But as I'm going through this cave, it's getting narrower and darker and tighter. And, and my lungs begin to get tense. And I'm out here thinking, oh great. Like the church just funded this, this opportunity for me to get away and to become alive again and be refreshed. And I'm going to die in this stinking cave as the tide is rising. And as I pressed on, this, this feeling just got worse and worse and worse as my body began to tense up. Now, as, as I'm standing here today, I survived this moment by God's grace. Hallelujah. This is the way that the psalmist describes his past and present circumstances. He's essentially saying the pressures of life are causing me to feel so emotionally claustrophobic. You ever felt that way? Feeling pressed in. He feels trapped by life's circumstances. There's lies and deceit and hate and hostility, and they're just pressing in. But as we look at the psalm, there's an important link here between this distress and trust. In fact, some commentators note that it reads as if he's saying it wasn't until he was in distress that he finally called out on the Lord. And I think we know this from our own circumstances, our, our own lives, our own experience. When things are going good, we may as believers pray, we thank God, we praise, we give glory. But how many of us in times of ease and comfort are desperately crying out to the Lord? It's times of pressure. And like the pressure on a coal that produces a diamond, crisis, distress, the pressure has a way of creating the precious jewel of trust, causing us to cry out to God like almost no other circumstance in our life. Now, I remember uh, being on a long plane flight back home. I was sitting next to a, a young man who was a Russian-American. He was 
studying in America, and we strike up a conversation, and he begins to talk about his upbringing in the church. And he begins to talk about his sour experience with the church and God. By the, by the way, about 95% of my conversations are these sort of conversations. And he's talking about how, you know, he, he, he was very cordial about it. He was very kind about it. But he essentially like, I don't believe in God. I don't need the whole concept of God in my life. I've just totally done away with that. I kid you not, minutes later, we experienced some of the worst turbulence I've ever experienced in my life. Not just like the rocky stuff, but like the, the dropping where your heart goes into your throat. And I will never forget him turning toward me and dead with this like deadly serious look and grabbing that little center console handrest armrest thing and saying in the like thickest Russian accent, pray to your God. Pray to your God. Distress has a way of working in our lives. The narrow, constraining place that you find yourself in right now can be one of two things. And you can choose in this moment to view it as really one or two ways. One, it's simply an unfortunate series of events that are making your life miserable. This is a season that you just can't wait to get out of, and you're going to try to do everything you can to do to wiggle out of it and cope with it. And I think a lot of people are responding to this moment like that. I think the other option, and the option that I would urge you to take, is to begin to see the pressure that you're facing right now as pressure that is pushing you towards God. For the believer, pressure that is pushing you deeper and deeper into intimacy with God and trust. For those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, pressure that is causing you to realize that there is no stability in life and nothing you can place your hope on and pressure that is finally turning you and pushing you to believe upon God. Not just for your now, but for your eternity. What is this moment? I believe it's a gift from God waking us up to our need for him. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Distress. Now let's look secondly at displacement. Displacement. Now one of the themes that the Psalms of Ascent, especially this Psalm draws out, is the theme of displacement. What is displacement? Displacement is when a people are forced to leave their homeland due to war or persecution or maybe even natural disaster. We, when we moved back to Stockton, our neighbors were displaced from New Orleans because of Hurricane Katrina. It's something that occurs that pushes people away from their home. And this is what the psalmist is experiencing. In fact, a, a major part of the psalmist's distress that he is expressing here is that aching feeling of homesickness that he's experiencing. Look with me in verse five through six. Woe to me, I sojourn in Meshech, that I, uh, that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Woe to me, I am in a foreign place. Now, Meshech was at the time one of the furthest north northern areas known to this region. It was up near like the borders of like Ukraine and Croatia up near the Black Sea. And then Kedar was in the sort of the furthest southeast portion down in the deserts of Arabia. These are, are two sort of like polar extremes. 
it's not very likely that the psalmist is saying that he quite literally is living up far into the north and far into the south because he can't. He can't live in these two places at one time. But it's more likely that he's saying this figuratively to explain that it's as if he's been banished to like the north and south pole. He's essentially saying, I have never felt more away from home than right now. The psalmist is, is really comparing his situation to living in a foreign land and feeling like a total outsider, totally banished from his home. Now, the French have a word for this experience that, that both combines the experience, the practical experience, but also the emotions and the feelings of not fitting in, and it's pavement. And I'm not going to try to pronounce it like the French do, but the pavement as one author, Tiffany Watts Smith, describes, it's the feeling of being an outsider. That disorientation that we experience being in a foreign place, leaving us feeling unsettled and out of place. And life can feel like this. This is a way of describing our life. When you see the ways that your friends and your family members and your coworkers and your neighbors function, how they have fun, how they deal with stress, how they spend money, how they express themselves sexually, how they engage in politics. And, and really what can cause, what really happens is that we begin to experience this disorientation, a feeling of disconnect between you and the world. What's going on? Am I the weird one? Are they, what is going on? Why don't I fit in here? But this isn't a bad thing. And I'm not going to try to ease the feeling of disorientation because I can't. And I shouldn't. Because that, that feeling of displacement, that feeling of depazement comes with the journey of the Christian life. And these moments of disorientation where we feel like we're outsiders, we feel like we don't connect and we don't fit in, are continual gracious reminders from God that we are a people who long to be in our true home with God, and that we're not at home in this world. That I'm a sojourn. That I'm a pilgrim. That I'm an exile. And, and as one author put it, our greatest affliction is not anxiety or even guilt, but rather homesickness and nostalgia and yearning to be at home with God. That is the deep ache of the human soul, whether we can articulate that or not. We're homesick, and we need to be home with God. You see, in the beginning pages of the Bible, we read about this beautiful garden home, the Garden of Eden. And it was a place marked by peace, harmony, wholeness, shalom. It was a place and an experience that was offered to humanity to be enjoyed forever. But because of sin and a rebellion against God, we read in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Expelled from that home. As we read on through the biblical narrative, what we see is that there's just this repeating pattern of God's people are passing through. They're exiles. They're traveling to some place. Feeling out of place. Feeling like outsiders in the land. But exile and banishment does not have the last word. In fact, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the apostle John would tell us, to dwell among us, to live with us, in order to bring us back home. 
And like the psalmist here describes, Jesus dwelled amongst the hostility of life. He experienced hate in his life. He experienced pain on on the cross as he died for our sins. He experienced the, the confinement of burial. And yet on the third day, he rose in victory to usher in God's peace in order for us to be brought back into God's shalom, in order for us to be brought back home in relationship with God. Now, spiritually speaking, all of us begin our lives at the furthest reaches of the world. The reason Psalm 120 is the ideal beginning of the Psalms of Ascent because it describes where we begin our lives, far, far away from home. But the scriptures tell us this in Hebrews 7, speaking of Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for for them. We begin our lives far from God. But Jesus crosses the chasm to bring us back home. And when we trust in Jesus, we become simultaneously at home in our relationship with God. We become insiders. And yet at the same time, we become exiles in this world. We become insiders with God and instantaneously outsiders in the world. And the Bible describes the believer's life as this ongoing experience of displacement. Friend, stop trying to shake the feeling. Stop trying to make yourself fit in. Embrace the disorientation. Settle into it because from the day that humanity was thrust out of the garden to the day that we enter into the glorious city that God is preparing for those who love and trust him, faith will be a journey in a foreign land. Strap in. Get ready. There's a journey ahead. Displacement. Now let's look finally at deliverance. Deliverance. The psalmist prays for deliverance, and then he acknowledges that the Lord answered his prayer. So it's clear that God answered his prayer for deliverance, but what's not initially clear is how he answered that prayer for deliverance, because as the psalm goes on, it just looks more and more bleak, and then it ends. What is clear is that the psalmist expects that deliverance is going to come in the form of God exonerating him. What's clear is that the psalmist expects that God is going to turn the the fiery darts headed towards him around on those who are spreading those lies to bring them to a swift end. But God's deliverance comes in a different form, a more subtle form, the least expected form. It's not deliverance from his circumstances. And it's not even deliverance from his enemies. Not yet, at least. Well, what kind of deliverance is it? It's deliverance from himself. When we find ourselves in distress, how does God answer the prayer for deliverance? I think it begins with this. He delivers us from ourselves. Look at me in verses 3 through 4. What shall be given to you now? Now the psalmist is talking to his enemies. How am I going to get you back? What's your comeuppance? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? I know. I got it. 
a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. See, he's anticipating that the hurt that he's experienced is now going to come down on his enemies. He believes, like so many of us, that he's going to experience the peace that he longs for when his enemies experience pain. If you experience just a shred of the pain that I've experienced, then I will feel peace inside. But as it's been said before, resentment is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. And the psalmist is right on the brink of drinking the poison of resentment. So what does deliverance look like for the psalmist? As I mentioned, it doesn't look like a change of circumstances or a change of relationships even. It's not change out there. It looks like God removing the poison of resentment and replacing it with a cry for peace. Said differently, it looks like God transforming his heart. And what I want to challenge you with in this season is this. Before we pray, change this world. This world is in chaos. This world is in disorder. Or change my circumstance. My world is turned upside down. Or change this craze, the craziness around me. I, I know yesterday when the power went out for like an hour, the world went chaotic. People didn't know how to drive. People were wandering around. It was chaos. But before we pray for the chaos out there, let's begin here. God, change me. Settle the chaos and disorder of my own heart. Deliver me from me. The New Testament describes how this transformed heart begins to overflow and transform the world around us. In Romans 12, it says this, repay no one evil for evil. That's not how it works now. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Even if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't worry, I'll handle that portion. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And listen to this. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. The psalmist says to God, I got a plan. Arrows from the broom tree, burning coals, right in the heart. Let's go. And God says, I got a better plan. Let's heap those coals. Let's heap those coals. Your plan for revenge will only perpetuate evil. My plan will overcome evil with good. Burning coals to the chest will only bring destruction. Heaping coals upon their head will lead to transformation and repentance and refinement. Do not be overcome with, by evil, but overcome evil with good. We see this deliverance occurring right before us, right before our eyes as we read through this psalm. He, he goes from essentially saying, woe to them, God, sick them, bring them down, let's destroy these guys, plotting his attack. And then there's a turning point in verse five. He says, woe to me. Woe to me. I need rescue. I need deliverance. 
You know what's interesting? The situation has not changed one bit. The psalm ends with, and they are still for war. But the believer has. Those who trust have been transformed because he says, I am for peace. They are for war. I am for peace. In fact, not only does he say, I am for peace, in the original language, it simply says, I peace, or I am peace. How is he choosing to combat the lies and the deceit and all the nasty things that are being said about him? What are his weapons of warfare? Here it is. Identity. Identity. How does he combat this hostility around him, he refuses to be defined by lies and hostility and pain and chooses rather to be defined by what God says to be true about him. He says, this is no longer who I am. This is who I am. I, peace, I am peace. And so as we journey through this strange, strange world, in this strange, strange season, this is the deliverance that we need to cry out to God for. Change me. Rescue me. Deliver me from me. So that by this transformed heart, you through me can begin to experience transformation in the relationships, in the community, in the world around me. By God's grace for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For